0: Spiritual abuse has become a hot topic as more and more pastors and Christian leaders have been exposed as abusive or toxic. If you've been a victim of spiritual abuse, how do you recover? Or if you know of people who have been victims of spiritual abuse, how can you help them find healing? Welcome to the Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Royce, And today I'm going to be speaking with Remy Diedrich, a pastor, author, and victim of spiritual abuse. Remy knows what it's like to be spiritually abused. He knows the pain, the confusion, the damage that spiritual abuse does to the soul. In fact, Remy says what he experienced was so damaging, he had to step back from church for several years just to recover. This is such an important and relevant Topic. I'm so looking forward to talking with Remy about this. But before we dive in, I want to take a minute to thank the sponsors of this podcast, Judson University, a university shaping lives that shape the world, as well as Marquardt of Barrington and the Illinois Family Institute. And I want to mention an important upcoming event that the Illinois Family Institute is sponsoring. On April 25th, the IFI is hosting The Way Out, a special forum on education choice. This will be held from 9.30 a.m. to 1 o'clock p.m. at the Church of Christian Liberty in Arlington Heights, Illinois. If you're in any way... Considering options other than public schools for your children, I highly recommend attending this event. Speaking will be several education experts like Lenny Jarrett of the Heartland Institute and Brian Ray of the National Home Education Research Institute. I think you'll find the information that they present absolutely eye-opening. For more information, just go to IllinoisFamily.org. Well again, I'm so excited to have Remy Diedrich with me today. He's the pastor of Cedar Brook Church in Menominee, Wisconsin. He's also the author of Broken Trust, a practical guide to identify and recover from toxic faith, toxic church, and spiritual abuse. So Remy, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you join me. Hey, it's great to be with you, Julie. I'm so excited to talk about this because I've been reporting for the past couple of years on spiritual abuse. I've seen the damage that it does. But I think most importantly, I've I've been talking to these people, so many dozens and dozens of people who have been so wounded and damaged by spiritual abuse. And I know you've spent years trying to figure this out, identify it and recover from it. Well, let me just start with your story, because I think it's so illustrative of what happens with spiritual abuse. So would you tell me the spiritual abuse that you encountered?
1: Yeah, it's a long time ago now, but it, it definitely had its mark on me, and I think it's impacted the way I do ministry ever since, because I've tried to avoid what I experienced. But I was mm-hmm. a, a part of a, a small church, it was a church plant, we had come out of a larger church, and we got started, and the the... the, the Pastor was a friend of mine so we spent a, a lot of time together and he was my mentor in many different ways and I think the more I grew in my leadership and I took on some leadership in the church and was even uh, on a part-time pastor basis I think as I grew that caused him to feel threatened mm. and so that there's the seed right there that, that starts to grow so here we are we're friends and everything's fine But as I started to grow and I think he started to go, well, well, maybe people like Remy more than me. And after a while, uh, one day he came to me and he said, you know, I had a, I had a couple dreams the other night. I said, oh yeah, you know, I'm pretty innocent about all this. So tell me about your dreams. And he had two dreams. One dream was that a storm hit our church and everyone who stayed in the church was safe. But anyone who left the church was, you know, either killed or damaged in some way. Mm. And I go, well, that's, That's kind of scary. And then the second dream, he said, well, I was going down the freeway and I wanted to get off, but there was a big truck and there was a guy in the truck who wouldn't let me off. And he said, you know, the guy in that truck was you. He was talking about me. And I go, what what are you saying? Mm. And it just turned out that he was uh, was kind of threatening me, like, back off. Uh, Don't, don't, just listen to me and just do what I say. And then to my surprise... The very next Sunday, he preached on those two dreams or visions that he had.
2: Oh boy. Uh, he, didn't
1: men- he didn't mention me by name, but it came across it just came across so different than anything that we had been experiencing up to that point, and people felt that. And so I, we had two elders uh, plus me at the time, and so I talked to them I said, did, "Did that seem weird to you?" And they said, "Yeah, absolutely. I said, "We've got to talk to him. We, we can't you know we've got to nip this in the bud." So we talked to him. And he was very resistant, very defensive, and he said, Look, I've talked to the, our overseers, and they agree with me that if you can either agree with me or you can just leave. And wow. this was just a huge slap in my face. I mean, like I said, mm. we were friends. I'd known this guy for years, and I, it was just like he turned into a different person. Mm. And thankfully, um, I, I, I just said, I, I can't agree with you. I said, I, I can't imagine leaving, but I also can't agree with you, so I guess I have to leave. So I I didn't stay in that abusive situation very long, but it was shocking to me the impact that it had on my life, because literally it was five years before. I mean, I tried to go to church. I'd go every few months, but it just felt so wrong. It felt so shallow. It felt so cliche, and it, it took a long process of me healing from that situation to be able to go back and re-engage in the church.
0: Mm, and that is really interesting. And I know I've talked to an awful lot of people who are there. I want to explore that. But I, I'm also I have a couple of questions about your, your experience at that church. I'm curious, when you say you said back off, were you pushing in some way at that point? Was there something that you saw as a red flag that you had said, hey, I think maybe we need to look at this? Or where did that come from?
1: Well, no, he, just, he didn't want me questioning him even on those visions or the dreams that he had. So he just mm-hmm. said, no, um, this, this is what I saw, and I, I think I, I'm, I have the right to preach this if I want to. You don't have the right to question me about this.
0: Wow. And in addition to those dreams, though, too, you, you had heard something kind of shift in the emphasis of the preaching, where it was not so much about how God accepted us because of what Jesus had done, but more of what you should do to be accepted by God, right? There, you heard kind of a, a works orientation.
1: Yeah, that you know that was always threaded through there as kind of one of those things that you just. Uh, that's what I would call toxic faith now, but it's a, a kind of a legalistic tinge, and I think that's so much a part of Christian churches that I just. I kind of let it go in one ear, not the other, realize, you know, I noticed what it was, and I I tried not to absorb it. But yeah, there was a legalistic tinge to his teaching before that.
0: Hmm. And when you say overseers, was that like denominational leaders? Because you said the elders saw it. it,
1: Yeah, it was a more organic oversight, where it wasn't a, it was like a network, we'd call it a network of churches today.
0: Oh, okay. So leaders at other churches who kind of had some sort of, not maybe formal governing role, but
1: right an agreement yeah with with each other like you're you're my overseeing church
0: yeah so. wow so okay so you get out of this church and you you are finding it's hard to even attend church i know i've i talked to a woman who was actually on a a radio show with me and uh, she had been at willow creek for like 30 years and then when everything came out with bill hybel she just felt like mm-hmm. an idiot and she thought if I was so duped for all these years, how do I know I'm not being duped by the guy that's up there now? Yeah. And she's she's like, I'm I'm done. I'm done with being a part of yeah. church in organized church. And my heart you know, breaks for her. But reading what you said, I, I thought this was really interesting because I think as Christians, you know, if we've been raised in the church, we know, hey, do not give up meeting together some are in the habit mm-hmm. of doing, but you know, even more so as the day of Christ approaches. So I mean I think that's been drilled into us, and that certainly is a a spiritual principle that we need to be with believers and we need to go to church. Yet at the same time, you're saying, man, for me, I needed to take a break. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah. Well, I think, one thing I think, um, legalistic churches do a good job of attracting people who like to climb the ladder, and I think I was Mm -hmm. one of those people. Um, I think just because of my own insecurities, I, I'm a, 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 an achiever and a doer, and I like to show people that I'm worthy of, of my salt. And so when you get into a church that is legalistic, sometimes people like me, they like that. Like, oh, I can prove myself through legalism. So I, I think that, that had a lot to do with where I was coming from. Um, so that was a part of my makeup. And when I left the church, I think God was using that time in my life to say, Remy, i 'm going to take you through a little wilderness experience here, and I want you to stop doing all the Christian things you do,
2: mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: which was really hard for me because to, just for the reasons you said we're mm-hmm. taught to well you've got to read your bible you've got to pray you've got to go to church, and you 're not a good Christian if you don't do those things, mm-hmm. and so we don't even question those kind of um, uh, what, those uh, rules and
2: those
1: uh, guidelines, because we just think that's so much a part of our Christianity, but I, I felt that God was challenging me and saying, look, I, I am just as much God when you don't do those things, and I am just as much God, i love you just as much when you don't do those things, so I'm going to take you through this season, and just kind of, it was, what I call it now is detoxifying. I need to spiritually detoxify, just like when I work in a also work, one of the things I do is I work in a treatment center, and before people can even come to the treatment center to receive the help, they've got to go through detox, they've got to go through you know, three or three to five days of just put them in a room and be without any of your drugs to clean out your system. And I felt like that's what God was doing in my life. He was detoxifying me spiritually, separating me from all the jargon and from mm. all the cliches and all the uh, religiosity that I had been a part of so I could start fresh and rebuild my, my Christianity and my faith mm. after that time away, which was about five years.
0: Wow, five years. And so what did you do during that time, to nurture yourself spiritually? I mean, how, how do you do that?
1: Well, initially, I, I, didn't, I didn't do anything. I didn't even read the Bible. Um, my prayers, I mean, I, I don't think you can help not praying. I think I would talk to God. But I wouldn't formally sit down and have what we'd call a devotional today. I would just talk to God and you know, as I went about my day. And that seemed weird, because I, I've always been a big believer in the Bible and a big reader of the Bible, but again, I felt like, reading the Bible for me was almost like going to church. It, it suddenly, it was like someone flipped a switch inside of me, and it didn't mean anything anymore. I mean, I believed in it. It mm-hmm. wasn't that I, didn't, I doubted it. It just didn't speak to me. God wasn't using it to speak to me anymore. And I thought, okay, well, God, if you're not going to use the Bible to speak to me, I'm just going to quit. And then after about, it was about five years later, I, rem- I can, it's very specific in my mind, I started, and I'd always try, just like I'd try to go to church, I'd try to read the Bible. So I'd, I'd, I'd re- I started to read the story of Abraham. And when I read the story of Abraham, it came alive like I'd, the Bible had never come alive for me before. And I was like, oh, God's turning on the juice. You know, he's turning, hmm. he's bringing back, he's breathing life back into me. And that's actually what brought me back into church. I started to go back to church, and then I, uh, I was asked the church that I was at, I can't remember why they thought of asking me, but they asked me to teach, and I taught on Abraham. And it was really powerful because it was so fresh. I mean, I had been hmm. out of everything for five years. And then God really spoke to me through the story in Genesis and so when I spoke, I mean it was kind of crazy there were people crying crying in the audience mm. and there was just so much fruit from that time of teaching it really it showed me that God was kind of like bringing me back uh, bringing my faith back and you know creating a healing in me and also bringing me back into the church
0: mm. and I appreciate what you're saying because I've experienced that. I remember going through a real desert time and I tried getting up at 5 a.m. and reading my Bible for an hour every day because I thought that would fix it. Right. And it got worse. It's like it got drier. It was just awful. And it wasn't until really the Holy Spirit just met me in a powerful way and and broke that in a very dramatic way with me. And, And it was interesting when I tried to do something, I couldn't fix it. And yet God broke through and fixed it for me. And I think right. I, I, I needed that because I'm kind of an activist and I like to fix things. And right. that was one of those situations where God was saying, no, you're not going to fix this. I'm going to fix this. And you're going to learn something about receiving instead of doing. And and so, I mean, there's, there's just an element of that I think is so important. But I think, too, when we see people who are struggling we want to fix them too. Right. We want to say, Hey, wait, you know, you got to be in church because that's what the Bible says. And you know, who are we to contradict the Bible? But at the same time, you know, maybe we're applying some things somewhat legalistically Mm -hmm. and we're, we're putting pressure. I think sometimes on people who are just wounded and, you know, just need us to, I don't know, sit with them. What do you suggest? What's the best way to, to be with someone who's hurting?
1: Well, it's like telling someone who just got divorced and went through a really harsh marriage to, well, the best thing for you is just to be in another relationship and get married. It's like, mm. no, I don't think that's the best thing. Mm. So I, I I think the same is true spiritually. We just can't, uh, I mean, when you, like for me in my situation, when I I was pulled out of that church situation, that was my family. Yeah. And to to be divorced from my spiritual family, to have all those connections just ripped out of my heart, you can't you can't tell people just to get back into it. And that's, um, you know, when people come here, people have come here who have either read my book or just they've they've heard about the fact that I'm I'm sensitive to the issue. Mm. They appreciate it. And one of the things I'll say is, you know, you need to pray about it. You should go to any church right now. I said, I'm happy that you came here, but don't, you know, if it feels really awkward and uncomfortable for you, I get that. And you might just need to wait some months or even years before you come back. You know, stay in touch with me. I just wanted to say, you know, mm. As far as spiritual, what do we do? The church, the church is where two or three people are gathered. So you can be spiritually nurtured in fellowship without an institutional church. You know, Jesus didn't create an institution. Hmm. He created, you know, by the Spirit, He creates the church wherever we gather with other people. So there's ways to, to be nourished in fellowship without the institutional church.
0: Amen. Well, I, I know for me, I haven't been in one of these churches I've reported on where there's been spiritual abuse. But I think because I've been reporting on it for so long and I've been poking the bear, I mean, in a way it, it, I mean, it dawned on me actually last week that I've been a victim of spiritual abuse just because I've been reporting on it. You know, I've gotten sued. I've gotten maligned publicly. I've had these things said about me and, and it's affected me. I mean, I feel it when I'm in church, I feel the skepticism towards, you know, spiritual leaders, Um, there's, my daughter wants to go on a gap year and we're looking at different ministries and I'm like, can I trust any of these ministries with my daughter? I mean, I, I'm going through this and, and I said to my small group, we actually had a really powerful meeting this week and I said, I'm just hurting. And it's the first time I admitted that how much this has hurt me personally. And, um, and I said, in some ways, what we do in this room together with people I trust and I know care about me, this this is more real than any church I experience right now. It's it's right, right here. It's in this room. And and it was, I mean, God really met us in a powerful way and met me in a powerful way that night. Um, this was just on, on Monday night, but it was, again, I think just recognizing, wow, I'm hurt and I'm not engaging with the church in the way I'm used to. and And I just need to admit that, to the people around me, I mean, I, I think there is a certain amount of healing, isn't there, when we just admit it to sure. ourselves and to everybody else?
1: Yeah, I think there's so many cultural forces. I mean, this is true in any kind of cultural situation, but certainly in a church cultural situation, that kind of define what should be, and we don't even question it after a while, and then that in a, in itself becomes a, a a legalism that you feel you need to perform to achieve, you know, to to. Uh, earn, earn your keep to be considered valuable. And when you break those norms, you can get a lot of pushback. So it's, I think we really have to be careful with all, the, with all our cultural rules that we have and, and, and question them and say, wait a minute, why do we expect that? Mm-hmm. And let's, let's, let's give people permission to maybe do something different, do it a different way, step back and take a breath and and see how how maybe they can express their their faith in a different way.
0: Hmm. And I want to explore more that healing process, but I'm also aware there's probably some people listening right now who have not left, but have maybe seen some red flags and maybe trying to figure out, am I in a spiritually abusive system? Should I leave? Should I not leave? And from my understanding, most people don't leave their spiritually abusive system. They stay in it, right?
1: They do, and that's what is really confusing to me. But yes, you're right.
0: So how can you know if you're in a spiritually abusive system?
1: Well, in my book, I I wrote a checklist of like 30 questions, and I don't want to take you through all that or be Mm -hmm. too complex. But I did, in another brief chapter, I did quote another book, and I thought, well, this is really nice and concise. Uh, uh, In the book, Churches That Abuse by Ron Enroth, he gave six uh, flags to look for. So I thought maybe I could just walk you through those. Yeah, and let me just
0: mention before you do that, Mm-hmm. I am giving away five copies of your book, Broken Trust. So for those Great. of you listening who want to get this book, uh, you can actually enter to receive a copy by just going to Julie Roy, spelled R-O-Y-S, dot com uh, slash giveaway. That's Julie Roy's dot com slash giveaway. But you need to enter the giveaway by noon on Tuesday, March 17th. Because that's when we're ending the giveaway. So again, just go to Julie Roy's R O Y S dot com slash giveaway. And if you don't get it, it's really not that expensive. You can pick one up, okay? Um, but a really, really helpful book. But go ahead, uh, Remy.
1: Yeah. Uh, so the first thing Enroth uh, said was uh, that the church fosters a dependency. So there, hmm. everything <laughs> is about the church, and you need to come to the church. You need to come to our prayer meeting. You need to. You need. You need. <laughs> the word you need is, the words you need are, are used a lot. So you, you've got to do this if you want to be a strong Christian, if, you know, you're going to keep God happy. And mm. so there's a sense of dependency.
0: And we're kind of have the monopoly on the truth, right? Like we're right. better and right. really can't go anywhere else. You need to stay in this church when the storm comes, as was the right. case with your pastor. But yeah, there's a sense that you, this church is the best and you need right. to stay here.
1: And that kind of leads to the second point, and that's isolationism. So because we are the source, the sole source of truth, you don't, you know, we don't want to get outside speakers to come. We don't want you to go to, uh, to a conference or to a seminary, you know, unless it's our seminary. We don't want you to get outside input, so we're going to try to sequester everybody, and it's just going to be this club because we're the chosen people. We, we've, we've got a lock on the truth here. Mm. So that's the second thing. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, what we've been talking about, the third thing is he talked about legalism, just that there's rules for everything. Everyone's very aware of the rules. In fact, sometimes they're literally written down for you so you know what to do and make sure you don't mess up. Mm -hmm. And then if you disobey the rules, the fourth thing is that there is discipline for breaking the rules. So you're exposed, you're critiqued, you're criticized. Uh, You might even be excommunicated.
0: Well, I was just thinking, uh, church discipline, I think it's kind of sad because it seems right now that churches that need to do it aren't doing it at all, and the ones that shouldn't be doing it are doing it in overdrive, and we just hardly see anything where there's healthy church discipline that is lovingly, correctively employed. It's either, it seems like, a, a tool of these abusive churches to control you, or yeah. it's just not done at all, and we have people committing adultery and then being up on stage leading worship, and nothing's done, right? Um, right. So, I mean, it's just it's just kind of sad, but church discipline, it, being done in an abusive way, definitely is the hallmark.
1: Yeah. The, the fifth thing this uh, author talked about was disrupted families. Mm-hmm. And I saw this firsthand. So really the, the thing that prompted me to write this book was— uh, I don't know, four or five years ago now, there was a church right, literally right down the road from our church here. It's about 20 miles away. And at the time, we were associated with that church through a denomination. We aren't any longer, but we were at the time. And they, um, their pastor just went off the deep end uh, theologically. Hmm. And he was, as a result, he was uh, putting a lot of doubt in people's minds about their family, like you can't trust your family, especially like young people couldn't trust their parents. Uh, kind of mixed with the isolationism, you know, we've got the truth, your parents are just going to question what you're doing at this church, so you don't talk to your parents. And he had a lot of young people cutting off their parents, and even splitting up family, like husband and wife, uh, in different ways. Mm-hmm. I won't bother to go, go into how, but I, it's very interesting how families often suffer in an abusive situation.
0: Yeah, and I mean, the family is, unless it's Abusive, or I mean, there's something clearly wrong. It is the primary institution God has given us to love and nurture one another, and so when you have churches kind of taking over, sort of supplanting the family, I mean, that's a huge red yeah. flag, right?
1: Yeah, and it's it's surprising how consistent it is in abusive situations. That that's
2: hmm. you
1: can look there and you can say, "Yep, there it is again. Hmm. There it is." Hmm. The final thing that he said was surveillance, that because people, you know, there's a basic paranoia around this isolationism. You know, they're afraid that uh, people are going to hear um, something different than what we're teaching and preaching, and maybe give their money someplace different, so there's got to be surveillance, and then there's kind of a reporting system. Um, very subtle, but very true that people are encouraged to report on other people in the church, hmm. both of them.
0: That is so creepy. And so uh, when you recognize these things and then you think, well, uh, maybe I'll leave. It seems to me it's kind of like the Hotel California with these places. Right. Like you can yeah. check in, but you can never leave. And so there's, yeah. there's so much fear. And I think, too, if you've been there for a while, that is your whole social network, right? I mean, that's all your friends. So you're, you're leaving everything, which yeah, is terrifying. Yeah,
1: that's part of the problem.
0: Yeah. So what do you do? Yeah. How do you get free?
1: Well, the, the, first I just wanted to mention how shocked I was. So when mm-hmm. this church blew up down the, str- down oh, yeah, the street yeah. from us, um, I went there and, and I just offered my advice because I knew some of the people there, and I knew one of the elders in the church who had actually, uh, when I planted my church, he uh, we weren't close friends, but he we knew each other. He'd mm-hmm. been a Christian for years. I mean, we're talking 30 years. He'd been an elder at that church for a, a long time. And... I, I pulled him aside, and so this was after it all blew up and <clears throat> this pastor left, and, but it, it had gone on for nine years,
2: mm.
1: and I pulled him aside and I said, I'm really confused. He was clearly spouting th- things that were just off the wall theologically. Families were being split up. Yeah. Did you ever say anything? And he looked real sheepish. He said, well, I thought he was wrong, but no one else was saying anything, and so mm. I thought maybe maybe I was wrong. Right. And I went, Oh, you're kidding. I was just so, Mm -hmm. so surprised by that, and that that here a man who had been a Christian for years and been an elder for years allowed himself, not only himself, but the whole church, to go down this dangerous theological rabbit hole, and he didn't say anything just because he doubted himself. And I I thought, you know, what that does is it really creates a conspiracy of silence, because if Mm -hmm. I'm a mature 30-something-year-old Christian, I mean, 30, been, a, been a Christian for 30 years, mm-hmm. and look at me, and I don't say anything, well, they're not going to say anything either. And so all the people on the inner circle, if they're all choosing to be quiet because they doubt themselves, what you've done, what the, that, those leaders have done, is they've just insulated the abusive leader from any kind of a, a critique or correction. Yeah, and then the people on the outside, people who are you know who just come on Sundays, they don't see they don't see the real dangerous stuff. That you know the sermons are usually fairly okay. It's the, it's the stuff that's said behind the scenes that is often the most destructive stuff. So, anyways, this church really uh, amazed me, and I got to thinking, why? What what are some Thing, what are some reasons that people don't confront a leader like this? So I came up with a list. That's one of my chapters. Can I run you through some of those?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So one is uh, uh, people just don't want to be accused of being rebellious, because that's something that's thrown around a lot in abusive churches. Oh, they're rebellious. Oh, they have the spirit of, of Jezebel. They have a re- rebellious spirit. I heard that.
0: Well, or divisive, or I mean, there's a whole list of them. And and this is one of the things that's really, really helped me, is I remember learning this years ago when we were on staff at a church, that you can spot a dysfunctional system if when you say there's a problem, they respond, there's no problem, you're the problem. Um, And that's that's just what happens. And that's why people get scared. They get absolutely scared. And either there's self-doubt or there's fear or whatever. But yeah, that's a huge one. Yeah, so number one, (laughs) what's number
1: two? Number two is what I already mentioned, just that sense of self-doubt. That's what that Mm -hmm. elder said. He just doubted himself. Number three, uh, and you've mentioned this, that Mm -hmm. you fear you're uh, going to lose your friends. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of what pulls you in, the the nature of a spiritually abusive church is this tight belief system. And everyone's really passionate about what they believe, which creates for a lot of really strong fellowship. Mm -hmm. So the thought of leaving that tight, strong family of believers who have supported you in your faith, it's just, it's devastating.
0: Mm, Yeah, it is. It is. I
1: remember uh, when I was, um, so I had led worship when I was at that church that I, I basically got kicked out of, and I was listening to a worship song once a few months after I had left, and I wasn't involved in any church at the time. I was listening to a worship song that I had led when I was a part of the church, and I just started weeping. And mm-hmm. I just thought, I'd, I had such a strong sense of the loss of my family, my spiritual yeah. family. And I felt it was so unfair that I had to leave because of this guy's, he was the one who was abusive, but I was the one that, that suffered and had to leave and leave my family. So that's, that's really hard. So we don't want to leave that. So that's one, one another thing that keeps people there. The fourth thing I have is uh, you don't want to lose your equity investment. And what <laughs> I mean by that is, You've invested a big part of your life. Let's say you've been there five years and maybe even invested a lot of money, too, but not just money. You've invested emotions, and that's where all your, all your friends are, like I've been saying. And after a while, you go, oh, is it really worth walking away after I put all this time, energy, and money into this? Maybe, maybe if I just stay a little bit longer, it'll all work out.
0: Mm. I re- so there's that full... Yeah, I remember when I was reporting on Harvest, I called someone who I knew someone else had told me, yeah, you need to talk to this guy um, because he had seen so much of the bad. And I remember the first conversation, he got really angry with me. And I remember he said, did it ever occur to you that maybe I don't want to tear down something I've spent my life investing in and building? And I was like, wow, I'm sure that's really painful um, and, and our first conversation went really badly. He just got really angry and just hung up on me. And I'm like, well, well that didn't go well. Yeah. Later on, about a month later, he called me back and apologized and said, I need to tell you what I know. And then he did. But it, is, it was hard for him. And I, and I get it. There's just And there's almost like a grieving that happens afterwards because All there right. were some beautiful things. I mean, they, that's the thing. Most of these systems are something... That was really beautiful that attracted people in the beginning and God worked and, you know, they saw people come to the Lord. I mean, all sorts of things like that, that draw us into church. But then there was also this toxic side that either was there from the beginning or it developed over time. It sounds like at the church you were at, it wasn't there in the beginning, but then as the pastor maybe got more threatened, became a little more toxic.
1: Yeah, yeah. A lot of people in these churches. I mean, they came to Christ there, so yeah. There's, there's that's that's their spiritual home. They, to, the thought of leaving is just devastating. Mm.
2: Mm.
1: So, uh, if they can mention a couple more, one is that mm-hmm. sometimes, if it's a, especially if it's a small church and you're actively engaged, you just like being needed. You know, mm-hmm. if say you go to a church of a hundred and you're, maybe you are an elder or you're the worship leader. You know, you play piano or something, and and you're needed, and people are always telling you how much they like you, and then the only other options in town, um, uh, either too small or too big, and you just get lost in the crowd. It's like, well, gee, I, I'm nobody here. And back there, I was, at least I was somebody. Yeah, the, the mm-hmm. theology was bad, but people liked my piano playing. You know? So you yeah. just want to be needed.
0: Yeah, and I've, I've heard that one too. This is my, yeah. if I talk to you, Julie, of course, I hear it from the reporter's <laughs> standpoint, but it's like, um, I do a Bible study here. And I've done it for years. And mm-hmm. if I leave or if I talk to you, that's going to be taken away from me. Which to me, then I kind of my comeback is, well, then that's kind of an idol, isn't it? If you're not doing the right thing right. because you're afraid you're going to lose something. Is that are you really ministering to others or is this ministering to you?
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Right. I mean.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Those are hard questions that people have to deal with. You know, what, what's their real motive
0: mm-hmm.
1: for 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 doing those different ministry? Things.
2: Right. Right.
1: Another thing, it's it's hard. Uh, that the people, it's sad that people would believe this, but sometimes people think that they might lose their salvation, like I've, because they're so convinced that that this church was the holder of all truth. That may, maybe I'm wrong. You know, who am I to say that I'm right? What if I leave and they're right? And maybe the uh, storm hits the church. And now that I've left the church, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, go to hell. So I've. I, again, I'm I'm surprised by that kind of thinking, but that's very prevalent. That people are afraid that maybe they are they are the wrong ones, and so they're going to go to literally go to hell
2: over it.
0: Well, and if that's what you're worried about, I mean, and we haven't used this word, the four-letter word that start with a C, cult, <laughs> right? Um, but that, I mean, if you're in something and you think you're the only ones going to heaven then you've, you've stepped over into a cult, haven't you? With these, sure. Especially if it has these control aspects to it as well.
1: But you're not aware of that. I mean, right. so, it's And then yeah. the, I, I'll give you just the eighth one out of ten, but the eighth one is that you fear that you can't make it without the spiritual leaders. You know, like mm-hmm. I said before, they've created such a sense of dependence on them. And, like, you need my wisdom, you need my counsel, that the thought of leaving and not having that is really scary. In fact, if they do leave, and then they, they don't have a mentor, they don't know any pastors anymore, they, it's just like this huge vacuum that mm. needs to be filled. And so there's, a, there's such a strong, because of all these things, even if people find the courage to leave, because of all these things we've mentioned, many people end up going back. Mm. Which is like, I mean, when you hear like of some woman who's being beaten by her husband, and she finally leaves, and then you find out a few weeks later that she went back. It's just, like, horrifying. Like, how can, you, how can you go back to that? Well, it's because that's what they know. And sometimes what you know is more comforting to you than just being on your own. And that's what happens in, with spiritual
2: abuse, too.
0: Well, it reminds me of when we were doing youth ministry, and I saw kids, some of them, they were in horribly dysfunctional homes. And they would graduate, and you would think they would be done with it. You know, they would leave that really abusive or dysfunctional home, but they would always come back to it because one, it feels normal, but I also learned that bad family is better than no family. Exactly. And I think that applies here and, and, and why it's important. Um, if we see our friends in systems like that, that we love them, that we offer support to them and we show them, Hey, we're going to love you and support you. And you know, whether they're going to leave or not, but I mean, At the same time, they need to find some sort of support system outside of that, yet also learn to be uh, independently dependent on Christ in a way too, because they're obviously relying maybe a little bit too much on spiritual leaders instead of hearing directly from God, which is an important thing to learn. But how do, so the person who's thinking this right now and they're realizing, hmm, all those things are there, how do they make the break?
2: Well,
1: may, may, maybe one thing that would help, uh, maybe, rather than just jumping off the cliff altogether, maybe mm-hmm. if they could just say, I'm going to take a month. You know, I'm not going to leave the church. I'm mm-hmm. just going to take a month. And sometimes if you can take a small bite, it, it will give you uh, mm-hmm. a chance to feel what it's like to kind of get out from under the cloud and see what the air is like outside of the cloud. Because mm-hmm. sometimes we just, taking the big leap all at once and saying, I'm never going back. That just might be too much, and I think that's why, as you mentioned before, a lot of people stay, even though they know they're they know they're in a spiritually abusive church. They just can't leave it.
0: Mm. Wow.
1: So that would be that would be my recommendation: is just to say, well, just I mean, even if you have to go visit a, a family member in another city or something, you know, have a valid excuse, <laughs> but to, to help yourself get out and, and then expose yourself to why you know take advantage of that opportunity. To go to different churches, or to read different books, or to talk—you know—go to counselors and say, you know, this is what I'm thinking, and maybe I'm crazy. Maybe, maybe there's nothing wrong with my church, but I kind of—I'm having these uneasy feelings just to just to bounce them off someone else to see if, if there's any validity to what you're thinking. And then, as people start to say, "Oh my," and I, I think when when you tell your story to someone and their eyes get really big, like, "I can't believe you said that." Mm. It's, it's kind of a good clue that maybe maybe you're onto something, that maybe there is something wrong with what's going on.
0: Mm. Wow, that's, that's, a, that's a great suggestion. I've never heard anybody say that, but that's really helpful, I think. Um, I want to take the rest of our time and focus in on recovering, because I know there's a lot of people listening right now who have recently come out of churches where there was abuse of some sort, and they're reeling. And so I know you said one thing, which is probably pretty controversial, but you found you had to take a break from going to church for a while. I, you know, I found people are kind of along a spectrum. I I know some people don't want anything to do with church and, and the fear there is that they'll never come back to any kind of fellowship. And the truth is we know an awful lot of people that get stuck there. The Mm -hmm. other is kind of like they keep, they, they go to church, but they're just, they're limping and they're not getting plugged in. And they're not really becoming a contributing member. They're just kind of holding everything at arm's length. And they just, they don't have the enthusiasm for Mm -hmm. the kingdom like they used to. But they just, they can't trust anything anyway. So they're just kind of limping along. And then you have people that just are unaffected. I mean, I've seen it. Um, In fact, I I know a couple where the husband came out of like 20 years of abuse. He jumped into the next church and he's fine. I mean, he's working fine. And the wife is like absolutely devastated and saying, how on earth can you do that? And she's, you know, 10 years later, still feeling like I'm still in a funk. I'm still feel like I have PTSD. I'm, you know, why? and it does, it impacts people differently. So, I mean, speak to those people who are just right now, just still reeling.
1: Well, I think, I think you've done a good job of describing how it often happens with people because, uh, and you mentioned PTSD, I think spiritual abuse does cause PTSD in a lot of people. And interesting with, with couples, it, it can land on them in different ways. Some people are just, let's say, uh, maybe it's stereotype, but let's say that the, the husband just gets mad and he just walks out of there and he can easily land in another church and pick up where he left off but maybe the wife being more sensitive to some of these things, she is, actually has experienced PTSD. And the two of them, because their experience is so different, it really sets them at odds because he's like, well, come on, get with the program. Let's, mm-hmm. let's get, you know, get over it. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I think, one of the things I'd recommend is just to really be careful to value and validate the other person's experience because it, it, we're just all so different mm-hmm. and we're going to respond differently. And so we... We need we need our story to be heard, and we need our story to be appreciated. Mm. And I think that's a you need to find friends. And if you're trying to get into another church, you need to find a church that will listen to your story and will appreciate what you're saying.
0: Mm. And what about some of the emotions? You know, dealing with that strong feeling of of loss. And I mean, it's almost like they've experienced a death, haven't they?
1: Absolutely, yeah they have experienced a death and when I uh, I teach quite a bit on grief and, it, and grief is a big part of spiritual abuse, any kind of abuse because something was taken from you and so you need to grieve what it was what was taken from you but I think one of the, the things that I've observed in people that where they go wrong is they feel like their healing will come from the very place where they were abused so if I can, if I can get them to apologize to me uh-huh. If I can get them to change their theology, if I can get them to somehow publicly repent, then I'll be whole. And I know those are all, because what you're really, you want justice, and I understand that. But I think what I try to recommend to people is to show them the futility of that, because in most cases, sadly, their abuser is not going to repent and change and do all the things he wants them to. So if you've got a big gaping hole in your life from the loss that you've experienced, you need to go some, to someone who can fill it. And the only one that can fill that, that gaping hole in your heart is God. Yes. So rather than keep uh, barking up the wrong tree, so to speak, rather than going to the people that hurt you, thinking that they're going to somehow solve this, you've got to let that go. I just see so many people, especially online, just they cannot let it go. And I just want to write to those individuals and say, please, you're, you're, lo- you're looking in the wrong place for your healing.
0: Mm. Yet yeah, at the same time, I think, I know, let it go, just that those three words have been, are, are trigger words for a lot of people because their church, that maybe they left, maybe they didn't leave, but the church where things haven't happened, they haven't been resolved. I'm I'm, I'm thinking right now, like Willow Creek Community Church, because I know people who are there who have been told, let it go, just let it go. Wow. And, and no, things are yeah, fine. And true. things, you know, I mean hey, they, got, they have new elders now, it's all good. And they're seeing the same patterns and they're like, no, this isn't okay. And yet they're being told, you know, you just have a problem, you need to let it go.
1: Oh, no, I, I, I'm glad you uh, brought the balance to what I said, because I'm not, I'm not, I agree with you and I'm not saying that.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> I figured.
1: Yeah, um, because, and I think that's part of the validation of someone saying, okay, you, I hear you. I hear what's happened to you, and that, that deserves to be addressed. So I guess what I'm saying is, let it go after you've done what you need to do. Yeah. So after you've confronted the people that you need to confront, after you've told the people, you know, your friends, you've warned your friends about that, you know, after you've done the things you need to do, that's when I think you can let it go. It's like, okay, I, I need to leave this in God's hands now. Mm. But no, I don't think you should be passive. I mean, because that church is probably going to hurt other people. And I think it's important to uh i mean I have a whole section in my book trying to help leaders of churches uh correct their church like how do we you know it sounds like what, what willow Creek possibly isn't doing how do we how do we take this thing down to the the joists you know how do we strip off the the sheetrock and get down to the very fundamentals of this church and rebuild it in a way that's healthy because a lot of times what we want to do is just keep going, like, okay, let's get rid of the leaders and apologize quickly and let's move on. But no, there's some, I think you maybe even said it, there's some structural, systematic problems in this church that need to be deconstructed and analyzed and repented of before we can move forward.
0: Hmm. And it's really hard to determine when something like like that has happened where, say, they have, and I I get this a lot, because you'll see that maybe they fired some of the senior leaders and they've gotten new board. Um, and how do you know whether it's really changed and I can stay or how do you know whether to leave and really it was a systemic thing and everybody was involved and they've just rearranged the chairs and it's all the same. I mean, how do you analyze that and know whether this is a place you can stay or not?
1: Yeah. I I think those are really, uh, it's a really complicated question and, and the living out of that is very complicated it's it's very personal for every everybody for some people the best the best solution for them is just to to leave and to start over other people and it's just all how we're wired some people God wants some people to stay there to be a part of the the cleansing process uh, some people they're not going to be able to sort all that out so it's better for them to go and start over and some people were i mean i've got it's interesting I've, I've known people at this one church again and in a, in a Town down the road, um, one person loves that church, and the other person, had, who was much closer on the inside, felt terribly abused. Mm. And so, uh, so some people's experience with a church like at, like at Willow Creek, if they were just going there on Sundays now and then, it may it may not bother them to keep going there, and you know, because they don't know the inner workings, and it really it doesn't. It doesn't play into their life on a week-to-week basis, like mm. it may for other people. Mm. Well, so it's hard to give a hard and fast answer to that because I think it's it's just very personal.
0: Yeah, it is. And at some point, you know, I, I do. I kind of feel like uh, we can unhealthfully stay attached to it, and and if it doesn't change, our well-being can be can be tied to that. And I do think there's an important. Element to which you have to just say, "I did my job. I spoke what I needed to speak, and now I'm going to leave the results to God and right. um, and and allow that to be." Last because I know our time is is uh, is drawing to a close, but I do want to talk about. We've talked about loss and sort of grief, some of those, but what about anger? Because I know there's a lot of people that are trying to overcome just this really you know, gnawing anger that they have as a result of what's happened to them, and it's justified anger. Yeah. How do you deal with that?
1: Yeah. Um, Anger comes when you uh, lost something that you thought you were going to get. So something was taken from you that you Hmm. felt that you were going to have or you expected to have. It's a loss of expectation. And the expectation we have when we go into a church is that we'll be loved We'll be comforted, we'll be challenged, um, but we'll be told about the love of God in a biblical, godly manner. And when that doesn't happen, it's going to cause anger. And so I think, especially for Christians, I think Christians really struggle with when they have anger because they feel it's wrong. And so one thing I try to tell people is just to give them permission to feel that anger, you know, to process that anger. It's not a bad thing. Uh, mm. It's something that God gave us, and we're always going to experience anger when we experience loss, when we don't get what we thought was the the right thing to get. So that that's okay. But the question is, how? Are, what are we going to do with that anger? Are, are we going to uh, go on Facebook and say nasty things about that church? You know, are we just going to? Are we going to shut down? Are we going to quit on God and quit on church and just walk away from it all? Those are really destructive ways to handle your anger. Or you can say. Well, God isn't surprised by this. I think his, you know, his spirit is with me, and he wants me to handle this in a constructive way. And so that's really the path of forgiveness. How do we walk down the the path of forgiveness without, without uh, trusting, you know, people who have let us down too quickly? I think think a lot of times when we're, we're we move down the path of forgiveness, we feel again as a Christian, we feel like we have to trust people, and I think we need to learn the find the wisdom in learning how to forgive people without necessarily trusting them if they're not trustworthy.
0: Hmm. Can I say one caveat to that though? Sure. I have found uh, there is a community on Twitter (laughs) oddly enough of survivors and I see them ministering to each other by talking about it and it's the one place they can talk about it with people who understand them because they've been through Mm -hmm. it. And so I think social media can be used both negatively and positively and I'm always sensitive to anything about social media because these people for so long were told that to say anything on social media or to read social media, which was the only place they could find the truth about what was going on at their church, sure. was wrong or was evil. And so I think that needs to be be balanced. At the same time, just venting, that's not healthy either. So Right,
1: yeah, and that, that's what I was referring to. And I, and I again, I appreciate your balance. In fact, I I'm forgetting the author right now, but she talks about when you're when you leave your church and you're looking for community, social media is one at, is one way to find uh, fellowship with other believers through social media. So yeah, absolutely, it can be used in a very positive way.
0: Yeah, in fact, it's been such a, it's interesting, such a sisterhood, some of it. Um, we, we had a get-together, one one of the gals on social media actually put together, hey, I, I want to meet you face-to-face, and we had a get-together, and it was really wonderful um, to meet people, and it really, there was just this sense of camaraderie and love and, And I know some of them have checked out of church. And so that's an important Christian fellowship for them, you know, in their whole processing. So, hey, Remy, I've never asked somebody to do this on a podcast, but I just kind of feel prompted to do it. Would you just pray for those right now that have come out of spiritually abusive churches and are just wrestling to come to terms with it?
1: Yeah, I would love to. So let's do that. God, I do pray for the people that are listening right now and the people that uh, the listeners might know who, like myself, came out of of a church that uh, we expected to be loved and embraced and encouraged, and we were uh, thrown out and we were criticized for it. And now those people are are hurting and they don't know what to do. And they, they might even feel like they've been abandoned by you, God. So I pray that you would just move through uh, the different means, whether it's through this podcast or through books or through other social media, whatever it is, God, these people would find fellowship, they would find truth, they would find your comfort by your spirit, and you'd lead them back to a place where they can be a vital part of the body of Christ, and they can feel feel fulfilled, and they'll be much wiser because of this journey. So we thank you for that, and we, we look to you for good things in their life, and we ask a blessing on each of those people now in Jesus' name.
0: Mm, amen. Remy, thank you so much. So appreciate uh, you sharing this time with us and your insights and uh, the book as well. And uh, God bless wow. you and your ministry.
1: Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Well, and thanks to you so much for listening to The Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Roy's. And if you'd like to find me online, just go to spelled R-O-Y-S dot com. Hope you have a great day and God bless.